So, this last uh, month, uh, we as a church have been reading uh, Aliens and Strangers, and it's about the, the work of First and Second Peter. So hopefully everyone has a book, and hopefully everyone is about day 20, 21. So we could have some fun and ask uh, who doesn't have a book and who's not reading, uh, but that's up to you, uh, not me. So... I thought we'd show the Bible project here just to really help us get an idea because this week, this week and next week, we're going to go ahead and focus on the whole books. Today, we're going to start actually with 2 Peter. Next week, we're going to go back and look at 1 Peter. But I wanted to start with 2 Peter because of that whole foundation of hope. You know, why do we do what we do? Why do we live the way we live? Why, as disciples of Jesus... Do we live certain ways? And it's not because of us. It's because of the hope that we have. Now, before I get into the text, uh, there's a couple things that, that we need to talk about. A little family time here for a second. So, for those of us who are married and disciples of Jesus, we have an opportunity coming up really soon in the next few weeks is we're going to have an opportunity to learn how to be great husbands and wives to our spouse. In other words, we're going to have what we call a marriage retreat. Now, we have registration that's up and running. And I would certainly encourage everybody that's married to go ahead and get registered. You have to register. Registration's free. The hotel's not. But you need to register still. If you want to stay at the hotel, great. Really excited about the location. We're going to meet all the way over across the street at the Sheraton. So it's a little bit farther than we normally go. But I want to make sure that everyone gets signed up. Also, um, next Saturday, we're, we're actually next Sunday, we have a treat. Uh, we have the broils uh, visiting with us. The Broyles, uh, Kevin and his wife, uh, work with the clinic in Bolivia, uh, La Paz, Bolivia. This is the clinic that the Dallas Church has, has literally invested hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to start the clinic in Bolivia, the second poorest uh, country in the Western Hemisphere. The Broyles are going to be here. We're going to have a healing tree um, workshop uh, meeting Saturday night. If you would like to know more about Healing Tree and what we do as a church throughout the whole congregation uh, on how to help those uh, through medical services, uh, next Saturday night will be a great opportunity. And you can look at the, the bulletin um, that's online, um, and you'll be able to get all the information you need. I, I do want to take an opportunity to introduce everyone to the Davises, Terrence and uh, uh, Beatrice, can you stand up real quick? They're uh, transferring over from the south. And then they have a two-year-old, Talia. Uh, they live uh, in Louisville. So please get an opportunity to meet uh, Terrence and uh, Beatrice. A great couple. Uh, been in the church for a while. Uh, but they just moved up north. And so they're going to be a part of this group uh, in the Dallas church. On a serious note, I have a, a, a special announcement. Um, we are now, Patty and I, are now prepared to replace Marley. <laughs> About four years ago, little Marley, all five pounds, passed away. So we're now going to replace Marley with a new dog. But this dog has no name. 
And Patty is asking me every 15 minutes, have I been looking at new names for our new dog? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just like the apostles, ministry of the word and prayer, that I don't have time to think about a dog's name. So I would like to ask you, please, call, email, text, or grab Patty in fellowship if you have a name for a five-pound dog. Now, we don't have it yet, so we're getting prepared. We'll get its room ready, his everything all set up so when he comes here. And the challenge is with this new addition to the family, five pounds, it's got to be a manly man name. <laughs> Nothing like Shade, you know, or Sean, you know, it's got to be a man's name. Because this is like five pounds of fury, okay? So if you could do me. And in the next two to three weeks, before we get this addition to our family, I would greatly, Patty would greatly appreciate all your help. So we just looked at the Bible Project, Second Peter, and, and you, know, you, look, you know, you talk about a book of the Bible and you're like, oh, what's the purpose of it? And you can do this and this and this, and there's just so many purposes in a, in a book of the Bible. And 2 Peter literally has a huge expanse of things that it addresses. But there are probably two or three things that you can really hang your hat on. For instance, you see here the scripture, 2 Peter chapter 2. We're not going to look at this, but it, chapter 1 abruptly goes into this thought. And it says, but false prophets, it says 2 Peter there, that's cool. Did you, I don't know if you put the scripture up there. Oh, there we go. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who sought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their uh, sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blaspheming. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So what's going on here is that one of the things that Peter is dealing with is the dangers of false teachers and false teachings. <sighs> I am so glad we don't have that problem anymore now. Do you, know, you know what a false teaching looks like? When was the last time you heard a false teaching? Seriously. Honestly, we could sit here and, and probably, realistically, we're like, oh, um, yeah, I don't remember I've ever heard anything. But see, it, Peter is saying, you know what, they're going to raise up even amongst the body. So we're surrounded, actually, by false teachers and false teachings. But I'm not quite sure how in-depth we are to really go after them and identify them. You know, the second thing that Peter does, he reminds the readers to never stop growing. Never stop growing. Also to encourage the readers in their faith and with absolute certainty that Jesus will come again. And then lastly, you can say the goal of 2 Peter is all about discipleship, about entering God's kingdom. It's about how we as individuals respond to the hope 
that Jesus has given us. So in a lot of ways, Peter is writing this, and if, you, and if you're over the age of 50, you probably remember, um, danger, 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 lost in space, danger. You know, we can have warning, warning. We can have this. But those under 50, they're like, what is he doing? That was hardcore, cutting-edge sci-fi right there. So let's get into 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1. Now, I know a lot of you are reading it right now, so we're going to catch up to you. So if you can go real slow, we'll catch up. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by them, or by which he has granted us his precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So I have have three simple points. Point number one is precious and great, very great promises. You know, Peter's encouraging the church. Peter's talking to the church. And again, it's a lot of churches. It's spread throughout this whole geographic area. And Peter is trying to encourage them and says, man, you're going to have faith. Your faith from Jesus is of equal standing as ours. We're equal Equal honor, equal privilege. There's no like hierarchy in the, in the land of faith or in the heart of faith. It's like, you know, here are these superstars. You have the same kind of faith that everyone does. You know, we sit there and we watch TV and we watch movies and, of actors who are just incredible, gifted people. You see sports And you watch these pro athletes, men or women, perform these incredible things, and and they're just above and beyond. And you look at these people, and it's like, wow, these are heroes. These are, these these excel. They're they're top of the game. But see, I think sometimes we can be insecure and think, oh, well, our faith is not like whoever maybe our faithful superhero is. But it's like, wow, it's equal standing. We're just like them. There's no difference between Peter and Paul and us. It says he has given us everything for a godly life. Can you imagine that? He has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. You can sit there and you can, you can find things. Like, oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. You know, I need more money. I got to buy a car. And, but Jesus says you've, he's given you everything to live a godly life. We get to partake in the divine nature We get to, with God, partake in what he's trying to do in this world. More God, less culture. We get to partake and and be like Jesus on this earth. And then lastly, precious and great promises. You know, you can... You can sit there, and, and we can have some fun, and we can kind of go through this crowd and say, oh, what's, what's some of the promises that you think of? And there's a lot. 
But how about if we just focus for a second in 1 Peter chapter 5? 1 Peter chapter 5 has four promises. Now, he's talking to elders, but I believe it holds true for all of us. Now, promises is a sticky thing. Because a lot of people make promises they can't keep. A lot of people write checks they can't cash. A lot of people say they love you, but then leave. But see, that's not the way it is with God. When God makes a promise, he will fulfill it. So let's look at 1 Peter here, just for a second, chapter 5. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to pull out four verses in chapter 5 that you'll see these precious promises. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. What do you have now that looks as good as when you first got it? Your car? Your house? Your body? Certainly your health? Nothing. Nothing. But Peter says you're going to receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, when you serve people, when you love others, guess what? Jesus is going to recognize it. He sees. And because of your actions, because of what you do, because you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to receive something. An unfading crown of glory. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's a promise. You know, I think the older I get because of this, like a scripture like this, you know, the older I get, I'm not as opinionated about my opinions. You know, the joke is, is that I tell Patty all the time, and she tells me that, I mean, I tell Patty something, and, and all, usually she tells me I didn't tell her. Half the time I'm right, and half the time she's right. So I'm not as opinionated anymore about my opinions. I'm not as self-seeking, not as self-serving. I think the older I get and the more I understand about God and Jesus and how much he loves me and us, there's a willingness to humble myself and to do it God's way and not my way. Because, see, I've seen how my way works. And not only humbling myself before God, but humbling myself before other men and women. Verse 7. It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that's like, that's like a, another promise. Cast your anxiety. Throw them at God. There's a willingness to, to give up. And, and, and you, when you look at ang- the word anxiety, basically it means different directions or to be divided, distracted. And, and there's a willingness just to cast this type of mentality to God, upon God, and trust him. Because at the end of the day, he cares for you. You know, growing up, one of the biggest doubts I had was if people loved me. 
Your people are really, now I know mom. Mom, mom always loves. Mom's got to love. She's mom. But my stepdads, my biological father didn't. My siblings, people I went to school with, disciples who let me down continually. You! Do you love me? Bless your heart. (laughs) But see, at the end of the day, Peter says, God cares for you. Oh, really? No, God cares for you. Just prove it. Really? Didn't he already do that? Doesn't he continually do that? He cares for you. That's a promise. Verse 10, last one. And after you had suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you by his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now this is written to a a group of people that are, in 1 Peter, suffering. Still suffering in 2 Peter. But now, not only are they suffering, you got people in the church that's distraction, like false teaching, false teachers. Hey, you know, they're living a certain life, sensually, greedy, taking advantage of Christians. Ah, the the, the judgment's not going to come. No, it's not really going to happen. Peace, peace. And they're suffering because they're sticking to their guns like Jesus is Lord. We're going to do it Jesus' way. And, you know, you think about it is, he himself will restore. God will restore. Whatever's damaged. Are you broken? Do you have things in your life that are broken that need to be restored? God's going to restore it. Do you need to be confirmed? Perhaps you need to be strengthened. Perhaps you're weak. Maybe your convictions or your, your, your security in reaching out, being bold. Go ahead and pull out your phones. <laughs> Go ahead. Amber Alert in San Antonio. Amen. Go ahead, turn them off. Quick. Okay, we're going to see who the last one is. <laughs> Strengthen you. Establish you. It's a promise. It's a, you believe it. He cares for us. And then how does that, that section of 1 Peter end? Verse 11, it says, to him be power forever and ever, amen. It's like a doxology of praise. Ah, it's awesome. This is incredible. God loves me. God's going to restore me. He's going to care for me. He's going to do all these things for me. This is awesome. And Peter just, again, a little doxology. Praise be to God. Okay, who didn't turn it off? (laughs) Okay, let's keep reading. Great and very precious promises. Promises. God's promised us things. 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and with self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection, love. For if you if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be... There will be richly provided for you an, an, an entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason. What does he mean by that? Well, he goes back to the first part of chapter 1. All, all these promises. God loves us. He cares for us. He wants the best for us. He's going to do these things for us. And because of that, because of that reason, we've got to make every effort. Every effort to add. So I want you to do me a favor. Grab a, grab a piece of paper or pull out your phone in the little notebook part of your phone. Everyone, just grab, grab something you can either write or type some notes on. And what I want you to do this week is ask yourself, are you adding, are you making every effort to add to these seven traits that you're going to write down? First one, goodness. G O O D N E S S. Goodness. Goodness speaks of moral excellence and virtue. We're not talking about like a, a, a self arrogance or a self pride, but an attitude of, you know, I want to give my best. There's virtues of, of, of goodness that I'm, I'm trying. And there's so many people that have this trait, which is wonderful. But you know, one person that sticks out to me with this quality is James Shea. Because he has conviction. I want to do my best. I want to give my best. And it got to a point where, like two, three years ago, I want to get off the board. <laughs> no, no, no. Another year, I need to get off the board. Let someone else. No, no, no. Because he, he brings his best. It's a conviction. And I appreciate that about when you see that in people's heart and their character, they're always trying to, to give their best. Always. I respect that. Knowledge. After goodness, you add to goodness knowledge. Now, knowledge is not this intellectual understanding of something, but literally knowledge concentrate on the practical knowledge or knowledge that is lived out. This kind of knowledge makes a distinction between what is true and what is not true. It's able to discern what is right versus what is wrong. What is encouraging versus what is hurtful. Knowledge is an application of God's word. 
not an intellectual understanding. You know who I think about when I look at, think of knowledge? And I know some of us like, oh, I bet he's going to say me. <laughs> Randy Moon. Oh, he just loves to get up there and like dice the scriptures, pull out. Okay, practicality, this is how it applies to you. I will hunt you down right now. Practical knowledge. You read something, how does this apply to me? What does this say to me? How am I to live this out? You know, it's so easy to, to oh, I want to have an intellectual understanding. I'm going to study things out. But it's, a, it's so hard to apply it. What does it say to me today? Married, single, divorcee, health problems, struggles, anxiety, depression, no job, job. You don't like the way you look. Maybe too heavy, too skinny. Maybe you don't live in the right place. But how does it apply to me? And be honest. You add to knowledge, self-control. Self-control des describes the inner strength to control one's desires and cravings. Self-control. You know, I can't tell you how many times. I, 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 have a I have a tradition. I wake up. My coffee's already made. I go get my coffee. One Splenda, two teaspoons of creamer. I'll go in, read my email real quick, and then I'll sit and I'll read the news. And you know, it's just a, just a click away from starting to look at something that you really don't want to look at if you're in your right mind. And it's just easy to click this, like, oh, this story about, oh, you know, uh, this, this person had sex with her or his uh, high school student, and you click it and you read it and... And maybe there's some advertisements, and you click that, and you click that, and you click that, and you click that, and self-control. Not going to go there. I'm not going to click that. I'm not going to take that second look. I'm not going to eat that piece of dessert. I'm not going to. Because i got to control doesn't mean I can't give in to a second piece of cake or, or, or do something that's not sinful. But you know what? I've got to be able to control my desires and the cravings. Perseverance. And to self-control, perseverance. Literally. Most literally, perseverance means staying under. To walk under the load. This refers to the courage to deal with the difficult times of life. You know, bad news is, guys, is that the older we get, the more difficult things are going to get. It's just the way it is. I now see, probably when I'm in my 90s, I'm going to be like, I'm ready. Take me. Jesus. I'm tired. 
I've gone through all this. I don't want to live to 100. My grandparents all were close to 100. I think about that, and I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't want to go right now, but not at 100. But I still will be preaching, and Alan will still be there. Amen. So, <laughs> Goodness. Goodness. The virtue that we see in verse 3. And what goodness means is reverence and obedience. What did I say? Godliness? Ah, whatever. All right, goodness. <laughs> Godliness. Yeah. It's all the same. Don't be throwing out the false teacher stuff, all right? All right. <laughs> so godliness, reverence, and obedience. Awe. This is God. You know, I do what I do because of God. You know, a long time ago, I, I, I read this article, and it's fascinating. I've actually tried to find it since then. There were some riots somewhere in the world, and it was just brutal. People were getting killed. Buildings were being uh, burned down, and and there were people watching it happen. And this guy sees this kid that's not partaking, and he's kind of shocked because you know you would think you know like young kids like going crazy like oh I get to burn down something or I get to throw rocks at something, and and the guy asked this kid, well why aren't you out there rioting with everybody? And, and the kid's response, and this is not word for word, but the kid's response was, well, I go to, I go to school over here. And it was like a, like a parochial type or like a religious school. And, and his attitude was, God, I'm not going to act this way because God. God sees me. God watches. God understands. There's a reverence and obedience and then the last two, brotherly kindness and love. You know, the, the Greek word here for Philadelphia is used to describe our relationship with our family and involves bearing one another's burdens. And then love, agape, is a deliberate desire for other people's highest good. Demonstrates itself in sacrificial action for that person's good. And these are the things that we're to add increasingly. These are the things that we should be looking at every day. Am I growing in these areas? And then lastly, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in the body to stir up, stir you up by the way of reminder. Since I know that putting off my body will be soon, our Lord Jesus Christ has made that clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow clev cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice was born of him in, by his majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice born from heaven. For we are with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word made more, um, made more confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture came about by the, someone's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy is ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, and the last two things, the last thing, the last point is reminders and reassurances. You know, Paul, Peter is trying to encourage. Think of these promises, how awesome they are. And then with that, he says, hey, here's the qualities. Here's the qualities you need to be running after because these will protect you. But I want to remind you, and I want to reassure you. And, you know, you read, and I appreciate the Bible project because they, they talk about Peter's tone, and it's urgent. It's passionate. There's deep conviction. And it's like, you know, it's like a, when a parent goes to a child, don't touch that. It's hot. And you're passionate. Hey, I don't want my child to burn themselves because I know. The same thing with Peter. He knew. And look at some of the phrases he used. I intend to remind you always to stir you up by way of reminder. I will make every effort. You will be able at any time to recall these things. Pay attention. He's intense. And you think about this sometimes, how easy it is not to take warnings. And then he reassures them. He goes, guys, I've seen it. Can you imagine someone you love and trust completely? And, and they're just like, I saw it. And because of their character, you believe them? That's what Peter was doing to the early church. I've seen it. I heard it. I saw it. I was there. It's absolutely confirmed. Jesus happened. Jesus is coming back. It's from God. Add to your faith. Add to your faith. And at the end of the day, it's going to end with love. So what do you do with a sermon like this? What do you do with a lesson like this? Well, one thing is that I think you got to do is that you got to examine your life. You just got to look at you. Not the person sitting next to you or your children or your parents. you got to look at you. Am I adding? Am I trying? Am I making every effort? Am I listening? Am I concerned? Do I believe these promises? You know, I, one thing I really appreciate about our character, you know, a lot of times I see men, when they finally have a heart attack because of the clogged arteries, then they'll get serious. Like Clinton was a good example of this. I mean, you know, he was overweight, and he had a, I think he had a heart attack or, or something that was really, the doctor said, dude, you're going to die. He lost like 70 pounds. I was like, man, there's someone who's taking it seriously. Do we take the promises seriously? Do we take these qualities seriously? Because they'll keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. And those who don't take it seriously, they're blind. They're blind and they've forgotten. That's what Peter says. He says, they're blind. I don't want to be blind. So it's not going to be you evaluating my life. It's going to be me evaluating my own life. What do I do? What do I say? What do I do in secret? 
How, how much do I confess? How open do I get? Do I love? Do, am I concerned? Am I going after these virtues? Am I hungry to understand what's right and wrong? Do I push myself? It's all about discipleship. And Peter is so concerned, he's ready to die. And he wanted all those people, and I believe us too, to be with him for eternity. Because he was absolutely convinced that Jesus was going to come again. So I pray that as we take communion now, that we'll remember Jesus' sacrifice. We'll remember his, his love, his call to us expressing his love for each one of us and that we'll be secure in that love and then we'll love like Jesus loved. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful for your love, for your mercy and your kindness. God, we pray that we'll listen to Peter's words in what we call Second Peter. Father, we'll understand how much you do love us and care for us and how much you want us, you want us to be with you for eternity. God, please help us to add the qualities, add to the qualities that Peter's given us so that we can be assured. God, help us to love you. Help us to follow your son. Help us to live the life that gives you glory. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.